spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David E. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs. Hello and good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Honolulu Star Advertiser. I'm Ryan Kalei joined by Yanji Denise, and this is Spotlight Hawaii. So great to see so many of you starting your Monday off with us. Uh, this morning, we are shifting gears from what we normally talk about. We are focusing the spotlight on some recent news that came out about former Honolulu prosecutor Keith Kaneshiro. Yeah, it is a complicated case. Kaneshiro and some of his co-conspirators uh, indicted in a pretty complicated case. And so to break it all down for us, we've invited attorney Megan Cow and Honolulu Star Advertiser staff writer Peter Boylan, who's been covering this case in depth. Thank you both for being here this morning. Good morning, guys. Good morning. So Peter, let's start with you. Uh, you had a great article yesterday in the paper, a compelling read and a great write through of the facts of this case. Uh, for folks who have not been covering uh, paying so close attention to us, uh, lay out what Kaneshiro is accused of along with uh, Dennis Mitsunaga and some of those associates. Sure, so Dennis, uh, Dennis Mitsunaga, Keith Kaneshiro got a letter from the federal government, the US Department of Justice sometime in December, 2018, uh, between September, December, 2018, alleging that he was the target of a federal investigation. Now, exactly how the federal government got onto this particular note of an investigation is unclear. But it does stem from a special prosecutor who was appointed in 2012 by the U.S. Department of Justice to handle interjurisdictional cases from Arizona to Hawaii and all points in between. An assistant United States attorney out of San Diego by the name of Michael Wheat. And so he started looking at the allegations that we are familiar with in the Kealoha case, how that connects to, to this particular event that happened with Kaneshiro and in the indictment that was sealed unsealed June 2nd. That's not clear. But in this particular case, Kaneshiro is accused of conspiring with Dennis Mitsunaga and three other executives from his firm um, with essentially accepting campaign contributions. This, these are merely allegations, accepting campaign contributions in exchange for prosecuting a former employee who had previously sued the company. In 2014, an employee was let go by Mai. She sued the company in turn, alleging violations of the Civil Rights Act, uh, age discrimination, and that sparked a civil suit in state court that eventually was tossed out in 2017. Now, what Kaneshiro is accused of doing is conspiring with Dennis to charge this woman with four counts of felony theft when there was no police investigation. Uh, several deputy prosecutors at the time allegedly were approached by Kaneshiro and asked to prosecute this woman. They said no. Um, until Keith found, was, allegedly was able to find someone who, who would file charges. Um, now, this was how the federal government pieced this all together. That is unclear. That's going to come out on trial. But they were picked up June 2nd and released on $50,000 bond and are scheduled to go to trial August 16th. And Megan, if you can share a, a little more context, too, when we're talking about the history of this case, I think many people assume and associate what has happened here with the Kealoha case in that Keith Kaneshiro 
you know, was being investigated for some time about this and being questioned. And, and not, people just automatically assumed that it was involved with the Kealoha case. Can you draw some distinction here between how we ended up at this point and any connection that there may be to Catherine Kealoha's case? Sure. So as part of the investigation into Catherine Kealoha, Assistant United States Attorney Michael Wheat started a grand jury investigating Keith Kaneshiro. That investigation included several issues. Number one, the domestic violence victim home that Keith Kaneshiro had bought from a supporter of his and allegedly flipped for a higher amount. Number two, the investigation into Adam Wong, which was the electrician whose ticket Catherine Kilo had dismissed in, in district court as a favor to him. But along with that came a long line of conspiracy and allegations and Keith Conisher came in front of the federal grand jury and lied about it. It also included this investigation and Michael Wheat had been talking with people in the community, had been doing research. I mean, you can just do a Google search for this prosecution of Laurel Mao and you can see that Judge Nakasone issued a scathing order against Keith Kaneshiro. And so Michael Wheat, in the midst of his investigation regarding Catherine Kialoha and Keith Kaneshiro, came upon this and started investigating this. And as such, he called to the federal grand jury several of Dennis Mitsunaga's employees to testify regarding this and who the government refers to as EA1, who was Keith Kaneshiro's executive assistant during the relevant time period. It's so interesting and so complicated. Uh, Peter, one of the things about your article over the weekend just outlines what a prolific donor uh, and a political influencer Dennis Mitsunaga has been over the years. Can you talk a little bit about that and how much money uh, it appears he donated, he and his associates donated directly to Keith Kaneshiro's political campaigns? Sure. And, and we look specifically at the listed uh, officers of his company, two specific companies, Mitsunaga and Associates and Mitsunaga Incorporation, Mitsunaga Construction Incorporated. We just looked at the listed officers of each company and then Dennis's wife, uh, son and daughter over a 10 year period with information available from the Hawaii State Campaign Spending Commission. Now, to be completely clear, bundling, as we described in our article yesterday, the practice of a bunch of people gathering campaign donations within the legal limits all from a particular company and funneling them to a particular candidate is not illegal and is, you know, for however you believe in the practice, very common from Washington, D.C. to Houston and Honolulu and all parts in between. Um, so so that, particular, that particular act of bundling that is not, is not new and has been tradition, frankly, uh, in, in Hawaii political giving for as long as you can remember. Um, moneyed interests, whether they are businessmen, whether they are uh, architectural firms, anybody seeking to influence lawmakers who can, with the stroke of a pen, the introduction of a legislation, the amendment of policies, can can either, whether it's steering contracts, whether it's uh, creating construction permits, approving entitlements, uh, amending laws and policies that affect the company's bottom line. That's been the purpose of political giving since political giving started. Um, now, what, what that shows is just that 
while Mitsunaga, why we outlined that in that particular article, focusing on him because of the indictment connected to these allegations and because he's accused of trading those contributions in exchange for a false prosecution of a disgruntled of a former employee, that doesn't say that that doesn't happen with most any business or company seeking to to do business with uh, with, with a, a county legislative body, a zoning commission, uh, state lawmakers who who can, who can help approve projects. So what we were both trying to do by outlining what happened in this particular case is highlight just sort of the larger theme of, of a legal practice that sometimes can run up against what we see here. I mean, the allegations outlined in this indictment are obviously above and beyond. I mean, prosecuting someone for a crime that, that they did not commit is, is, is something else entirely. But proving that, and as I think as retired Honolulu Police Major Daniel Hanagami pointed out, is, is, is very difficult. I mean, pay to play sounds illegal, but in, in this case, I mean, if you have company A getting their, their friends and subcontractors, subcontractors and family members to donate large sums of money to a particular lawmaker, I mean, that's what are you what, what are you what are you seeking to influence? I mean, you're seeking to influence the outcome that you would like that lawmaker to perform on behalf of your special interest. And I think that was just sort of the larger, larger point we were trying to make that this was something that that happens commonly broad daylight and how much money are we talking about just so the audience uh if they haven't had a chance to read your article is is clear on that sorry in a, in over a 10-year period with the, with the records that we were found available just the listed offices and dennis's family 2.1 million dollars over a 10-year period and and in and we did mention that in in not not and it's not in return from that because this company still bid on state contracts over the last Five year over the last seven year period between between 2015 and 2022 that they received an amount of over 12 million dollars now did those contributions have anything to do with them receiving those state contracts i mean that's that that's complete conjecture by the by anyone at this point but there is clearly a common theme that has spread out throughout the decade decades of political giving here is if if you want to influence things to go in your favor you contribute to key politicians and causes. And Megan, when we're looking at this case, uh, you know, when you look at just how it's going to settle when the prosecution and just trying to prosecute this um, from that standpoint, how easy or slam dunk is this case or how difficult will it be overall when you look at um, the evidence or lack thereof to show that there was some sort of influence and that power and corruption was spelt out in this case? Well, you can look at it from two points. The first point is through the government's eyes, and the second point is through the defense eyes. The government is going to argue that it's going to be very easy to prove its case. A conspiracy is merely an agreement between two or more people to commit a criminal act. And if you can show evidence of that agreement, then it's going to be very easy to show that there was, in fact, an agreement between Keith Kaneshiro and others to falsely prosecute Laura Mao. Specifically, they're gonna call as a witness EA1, Executive Assistant 1, who was Keith Kaneshiro's executive assistant, who was actually present during the meetings between Keith Kaneshiro, Dennis Mitsunaga, and the person identified as CC1, co-conspirator 1. On the contrary, we're gonna have the defense side. The defense is gonna argue that we were merely asking for someone that broke the law to be prosecuted. When someone violates the law, 
they should be prosecuted. And so just because Dennis Mitsunaga and his attorney had a direct link to Keith Kaneshiro doesn't mean that there was illegal conduct going on. All they did was submit real police reports, real statements from real people that said, this is what Laura Mao did. She broke the law and she stole from us. She charged our company while charging other people and doing side contracts at the same time. And you can only work 24 hours in a day. So it depends on which side you look at. I want to bring in some questions from the audience. Uh, P Peter, this one's from, for you from Heidi. Says, have you looked into what other politicians have received donations from this company? Uh, as we said off the top, Mitsunaga and uh, his his associates are uh, prolific donors. And so who else has been uh, a recipient of some of these funds? I mean, how much time you got? I mean, he's, they're, they're, the, the, the records that we were able to pull is we went back 10 years at least with what's online for the Hawaii State Campaign Spending Commission. Then we also looked at the Federal Ele Election Commission website for campaign contribution received, received by as many officers that we've been able to put together. I can tell you that the list is, is, is ongoing. I mean, we're still tallying it. But specifically, companies, um, you, you know, without taking Mitsunaga out of it, companies that are seeking to do work like that, engineering work, construction work, or, or businesses that are that do a lot of their business through government contracts, whether that's at the state level, county level, federal level, they're gonna steer donations to you know county zoning chairs, uh, city council members, um, pe people who, mayors who have influences over procurement situations. Uh, that's, that's where you're gonna see a lot of that money given. But I mean, again, Allegations, as we outlined in the story today, allegations of this pay-to-play scheme by, by you know, not only my, but but a whole host of companies. You know, these date back to, to 1997, 1998, and, and, and far before that. So the number of people who have received donations over the years just, I mean, it's, look at, look at, look at the money committees, zoning committees at the county level, state ways and means. Look at everybody who can influence the flow of government, but funds that are budgeted, contracts, departments that distribute these funds that are approved by the legislature. If you follow that, I mean, you can just, you, you can draw the lines back and forth. Now, are we at the point that I can sit here and name it a complete, a complete and total list? Not yet. The reporting is ongoing and we are developing more stories on this particular issue in an enterprise fashion. And Peter, just as a follow-up, I'm wondering if you can give us a little more context into the other individuals that are listed on this indictment besides, uh, you know, who we spoke about with Dennis Mitsunaga, but there are others mentioned in here um, and that you talked about briefly in the article. I'm wondering if you can shed some light into, um, you know, their background and their associations with Mitsunaga and Associates. Sure. So the, the other people listed along from, from Mitsunaga, his executives, are Terry Anotani, who's the corporate secretary. Um, Chad Michael McDonald, who's a vice president of the Chad, Chad Michael McDonald, Chad McDonald, uh, who's a, who's a vice president with the company, and Aaron Fujii, who's been a long time uh, another vice president with Mitsunaga and Associates. Now, now they are with, specifically Otani and McDonald are accused in that Laurel Mao uh, case of, of making accused again allegedly made false material statements to to investigators or prosecutors that were part of the public record that Kaneshiro allegedly used to prosecute her. Um, Fujii and, and Otani, um, so some of the other activities that they allegedly conspired in are not exactly clear at this particular point. I mean, the indictment is long and wide ranging. I'm not an attorney like Megan. I cannot tell you I understand 
all, all, all of the technical aspects or some of the laws that are allegedly accused have been broken here. I mean, Megan, if you could, if you could help me out <laughs> understanding at least some of this stuff with, um, with Aaron and, and Chad and, and uh, Terry in terms of what they've been accused of. I mean, I haven't listed out what each of them have been accused of doing, but basically they were act the government is accusing them of being actively involved. They weren't just people that were donating to Keith Kaneshiro. For example, the complaint alleges or the indictment alleges that Terry Anotani actually met in person with the person identified as CC1 and the executive assistant and Keith Kaneshiro in order to provide information against Laurel Mao to have her charged. The allegation also includes, um, I think, a declaration from either Aaron Fujii or Chad McDonald. I forget which one, but somebody actually wrote out an affidavit or a declaration that was attached to the charging document, which was called the information charging at the time. So in addition, the indictment alleges that they donated sums of money to Keith Kaneshiro's campaign. And, and, and how it looked that. was, I mean, in, in the outline of the indictment, you would literally have, to, to Megan's point, you would have a meeting in between unindicted co-conspirator one, Keith's executive assistant. They'd be setting it up. The two would meet for lunch. You have a, a short, brief, brief, brief detail of their conversation leading up to that lunch. And then literally either the next day or a day or two later, uh, in, in one case, Mr. McDonald and Ms. Otani are, accused, are allegedly accused of donating you know two or three thousand dollars immediately following a lunch that the federal government is alleging was solely set up to discuss the prosecution of Ms. Ma. And so there are several instances of that laid out throughout the indictment to demonstrate you know, what they allege is the quid pro quo. Megan, I want to follow up with you. One of the things that was so sort of compelling about what, what's gone on here is that initially uh, it seems that they went to the police, uh, that Mitsunaga and his associates went to the police to try to get them to investigate these uh, allegations against this former employee. Uh, when that didn't go their way, uh, then they went directly to the prosecutor's office. Can you speak a little bit to that and how unusual that might be? Sure, I wanna first point out that the defense has put this on the record that they went to the police department, they tried and tried and tried. They communicated with detectives. CC1 specifically went to a detective and said, here are reports and the detectives didn't do anything. And so in response, the defendants went directly to Keith Kaneshiro and said, please charge this person, she stole from us. But what I will, in order to answer that question, you know, we have two separate divisions. We have the Honolulu Police Department and we have the Office of the Prosecuting Attorney, which is the city and county of Honolulu. These two entities are separate and independent of one another. They never merge, they never mix. And HPD is tasked with doing investigations and the prosecutor's office is tasked with prosecuting cases. We don't mix the two because we end up in places like this. This is the prime example of what happens when we intermingle the two. In other words, we don't ever have the prosecutor's office doing its own investigation and then prosecuting because there is a lack of checks and balances, right? So I have never, as a former deputy prosecuting attorney and a current defense counsel, ever seen the prosecutor's office solely prosecute, investigate and prosecute its own case. And so Megan, just to follow up on that, how do you think that might impact because of this 
um, mixing uh, of these two entities. How do you think that will impact this case overall moving forward? Well, it's definitely going to be used as evidence against the defendant in the federal prosecution to prove that Keith Conisher was abusing his power in order to appease his donors. Um, it was very instrumental in the underlying case. So what, what happened was Laurel Mao was fired from Mitsunagan Associates. She brought a civil action in federal court claiming discrimination and other claims. And before she could get to trial, Allegedly, Mr. Mitsunaga and Mr. Kaneshiro met in order to charge Laurel Mao in a state criminal case for a felony in order to dissuade her from proceeding with the federal civil case. And so in the meanwhile, Keith Kaneshiro did his own investigation within his own office to prosecute Laurel Mao. When that criminal case went into state court in front of Judge Nakasone, she immediately struck it down she wrote a scathing order that basically said, I've never seen this happen before. The prosecutor's office should never be the investi investigative body. And therefore I'm dismissing this case with prejudice, meaning the government cannot refile it and charge Laurel Mao again. You know, my question to both of you, Peter, we'll start with you. What does this do to other cases that Kaneshiro has prosecuted? Obviously, he was the city prosecutor for many, many years. Uh, does this cast a pall on any of those prosecutions? And, and is any of that being reviewed? You know, you know I, I'm, I'm, I, I can say that prosecuting attorney Steve Alm told us that in his 37 years of practicing law, and he's a former federal prosecutor, a, a former judge, U.S. attorney for the District of Hawaii, He's never seen anything like this. Anyone associated with this particular case, Kaneshiro investigation, people who were given target letters or subject letters, or, or people who ended up testifying or outlined as unindicted co-conspirators in this indictment are no longer with that particular office. Um, he, uh, We do know that he, he has not received any direct appeals based on any prosecutions that Keith Kaneshiro has been involved in going forward. And it's just, like in any of these cases where you have allegations against a particular individual, and and obviously it is highlighted when you when it's when it's someone like the police chief or someone like an elected city prosecutor who voters put their trust in and believe that they would do right to look by look after public safety in our community, it gets amplified. But you know what prosecutor attorney Alm has has been on television saying and what he's saying with us, and, and to anyone who who will listen, and it's the truth. 98% of the prosecutors who work in that office, just like 98% of the police officers who go to work every day, are, are doing it on the up and up and are doing it the right way. And so far, it has not impacted any of the prosecutions from that particular era. And they're very hopeful that that's not going to be, good, going to be the case going forward. But there is an independent review of anything that might be in question. And, and Megan, just your thoughts on that, about what it does to public confidence uh, about those past prosecutions. Yeah, I can see generally how the public would think, oh my goodness, that means the past 12 years and the 20 years before that when Keith Conisher was prosecuting attorney means that all of these cases are gonna be reviewed. But in actuality, that's not the reality. It is not likely that any of the convictions that occurred during Keith Conisher's tenure will be reversed because we have a dual system for a reason. For example, in this case, defense attorneys Howard Luke and Rick Singh brought to Judge Nakasone's attention that the process of this indictment or felony information was questionable and therefore should be dismissed. 
That's why we have an adversary system. We have a defense attorney to stand up for a defendant's right, and we have the prosecutor's office to stand up for the government. And so if there was a question regarding the integrity of an investigation, it would have been up to the defense attorneys to bring that to the attention of the court, like these attorneys did in Laura Mahal's case. It's not likely to happen again, um, but if it does, I'm sure that Steve Baum will review and take the appropriate action. Before we let you folks go, I wanted to maybe just look ahead. What's next and uh, what you think could potentially happen down the world with other investigations? Peter, we'll start off with you. Uh, what's kind of the next uh, path of this trial and how things are panning out? What, what can people expect to begin seeing in the coming months? Well, I mean, the trial is set for August 16th, and, and you'll have a bunch of motions and hearings filed by both sides in the interim. Um, Dennis uh, and Keith have changed attorneys from their initial appearance. And so I think a lot of the defendants at this particular point are putting together their legal teams. Now, what we're going to see in terms of, of what happens with this investigation and, and, and what information some of these people may provide investigators and, and how that goes forward, I have absolutely no idea, nor would I dare to speculate on the ongoing outcome of federal investigation. I mean, I, I've been hearing, as we had mentioned in the story today, and, and I think anybody who followed politics in Hawaii growing up here, we've been hearing stories of pay to play and allegations against the Mitsunaga Corporation for since I was a you know, senior in high school. And, and, and for it to finally get to a point that, that, it, that it's led to these allegations in a federal indictment, I, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's definitely a, a, a new era of prosecutions of areas that maybe didn't necessarily have the attention of, of, of law enforcement in the past. So, so who knows is my answer. Sorry, man, that's not very specific. But, but, uh, and, and Megan, how about for you as a, as a closing thought? What do you think the future is, uh, not only for this case, but do you see that there could be other charges or allegations that are brought up in the future uh, through these federal investigations that we've been seeing more and more of uh, in this corruption types of cases uh, in various capacities in political offices? I don't see a lot of further investigation or charges being brought based on Michael Waits' investigation. You know, he was investigating several issues regarding Keith Kaneshiro, and none of those were actually charged other than this one. And therefore, if there's going to be further litigation or further charging, it's going to have to come out of these defendants. If these defendants choose to cooperate, then there will be further charges brought by Michael Wheat. However, if these defendants choose to exercise their constitutional rights to go to trial, they fight everything and they don't cooperate with the government, it's not likely that we're going to see further charges or investigations. So fascinating to have both of you on this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Attorney Megan Cow and Honolulu Star Advertiser staff writer Peter Boylan, we appreciate your analysis and all the background on this very complex case. No doubt we will invite you back here in August uh, once the trial begins. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Aloha. Well, Ryan, that was really great, I think, to really break this down. It is, as, as we noted, a very complicated case. Uh, and if you haven't had a chance to read Peter's re reporting, we really encourage you to do so because uh, there are so many different players and, and where this money goes. And just to hear his process as a, as a journalist, uh, to understand that they went back through all of these state records going back more than 10 years to basically follow the money, see where it went, and to see, you know, this particular association donating uh, over $2 million to various campaigns, it definitely makes you stop and think. Yeah, and especially during a time when there has been so much in the news lately about corruption in state government from 
of course, we saw what happened with uh, local senators and representatives in Cullen, as well as English, going back, of course, to what has happened with the Kealoha case and other things that have happened and come uh, into light recently. Uh, this is a case that once again is causing a negative spotlight, I guess, so to speak, on some of the corruption that is happening. And so these, these federal investigations, uh, albeit somewhat surprising that we hear at times, is becoming more and more of the norm. However, we heard uh, the thoughts of Megan Cow there at the end saying that she does not believe that there will be a lot more that will come out after this, that there has been uh, extensive investigation that has been done over the past few years, and that a lot of what has been brought into light is a result of that investigation that has been ongoing, again, which initially started into the probe against Catherine Kealoha, but ultimately led into these other forms uh, and these new allegations that have been brought to light as in federal investigators did more research and digging deeper into some of the uh, dealings of these political figures, as well as these companies like Mitsunaga and Associates. Yeah, just very, very interesting. We appreciate all your comments. Uh, coming up on Wednesday, Ryan, we are switching our focus to the Democratic candidates running for governor. And for the first time, we're going to be having all three of them on this program together. We're calling it the Democrat Digital Town Hall. We hope that you'll join us. It's an extended Spotlight Hawaii one hour with Vicky Cayetano, Josh Green, and Kai Kahele, each of them hoping to win the August 13th primary. What are their differences? What are their similarities? And what do they want to ask each other? It's going to be very interesting, and we want you to send us your questions as well. So make sure to join us for that extended Spotlight Hawaii right here Wednesday at 1030. Yeah, it should be a great conversation. Uh, of course, we have seen and heard calls from many of those in this race asking for an opportunity to have these types of conversations with each other. We believe that this is the first time they'll actually be doing it in this format. And while this will not necessarily be a debate and we are not going to hold anyone to specific times, uh, we are going to have to try to cover a lot of different topics and going to explain to the candidates the importance of keeping things brief uh, and being able to get through some of the many topics that are on top of mind as we head into this important part of the campaign season. So looking forward to that conversation, as Andrew said, on Wednesday. We hope you'll join us right back here at 1030 for a very special Spotlight Hawaii. Until then, take care and aloha. Aloha. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Longstrugs.